Well, we're in the fifth week of a six-week series uh, that's been taking us through the Gospel of Mark, and the series is titled The Beginning. And if you've been tracking with this, you, you know where that comes from. It's the very first verse of Mark's Gospel, which says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that really is the purpose of Mark's Gospel, to reveal to his readers that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be that he is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, and Mark's purpose in writing his gospel was that we all might know that. And the the first chapter of Mark's gospel is very interesting because it it really accounts for about the first week or so of Jesus' public ministry, and it was an action-packed week. There was a lot that happened in that amount of time, and if you... um, You think that kind of cliche, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? The things you focus on initially set the tone, you know, in a presidency, the first hundred days or whatever, right? Looking looking at the initial week of Jesus' ministry is really important because he's focusing on those things that kind of show us who he is and what he came to do and help us understand who we are in Christ, so that's been really the purpose of the series. The, uh, the first week focused on Jesus' identity and temptation. Uh, week two focused on the message he came to share and the followers he called to himself, his disciples. Week three focused on the authority that Jesus had in the spiritual realm. Last week, we looked at the way that Jesus organized his life and settled into a spiritual family with whom he did life and, and from, uh, from whose center he did ministry. And this week, we look at the other two dimensions of Jesus' life. If last week's spiritual family was the inward dimension, this week, we look at uh, the upward and outward dimensions of Jesus' life. So let's listen to Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 35 through 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jan. So uh, those of us in West Michigan know that winter arrived in earnest, right? Huge piles of snow in the, in the church parking lot. But the news is worse than that. <laughs> On Tuesday, Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow. So we got six more weeks of this. Six more weeks. Hopefully it's not as cold as, as this week. I think this coming week will be. But that, uh, that little news story earlier in the week made me think of that Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. Ever seen that? That's kind of an old one. I'm probably dating myself. Crystal and I rewatched that not too long ago. If, if you don't know it, Bill Murray plays this uh, disenchanted weatherman who's really frustrated at having been assigned the Groundhog Day uh, uh, story in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And He goes up there and a blizzard comes and something mystical happens and he realizes that he keeps waking up to the same day over and over again. 
even though he can remember everything that happened in that day the day before, but now it's that same day again. So if, you, if you've seen it, you get it. If, if not, well, <laughs> that's for you to discover. Uh, my point in mentioning it is that when he woke up to that same song on his little clock radio every morning, he remembered everything that happened the day before. You ever have a morning like that where you, you, know, you wake up and on your mental screen are all of the events from the day before. You don't have to work at it. It's just there. Uh, sometimes those are very positive memories. Sometimes they're very hard memories. But you, you don't have to remember. It's just there. Right? The whole day. Now, in this, in this series, like I've said several times, we're taking little chunks every week out of Mark 1. But the downside to that is that you lose the sense of flow through this thing, and each little passage we look at can feel like a separate standalone deal, when it's really not. You've got to read the whole thing right in context. And today's passage begins with what could seem like the start of an entirely new section. Right? It begins with this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Sounds like, okay, great, something new here. It was still dark. For what it's worth, the sun rises at about 5.30 in the morning in Galilee. So if Jesus was up and out when it was still entirely dark, he was up really early. And let's not forget what happened the day before. The day right before this was the day that started in the synagogue with Jesus teaching and, and preaching and casting out that demon. Remember? That was a, an incredible thing. And, and very quickly, the whole town heard about it. And after uh, the synagogue, remember, he went back to the home of Simon and Andrew and, and their extended family. And he settled in there to what we, would become his spiritual family. And if you remember, that very, that very evening, after the sun had set, the Bible tells us, quote, the whole town showed up at the door of that oikia, that house for Simon and, Peter's, uh, Simon and Andrew's extended family. And they were clamoring for Jesus' attention. They wanted Jesus to come and help them because he had healed this man with, with a, a spirit. And everybody showed up. That was the day before. So the whole healing thing started after sunset, presumably went several hours into the evening, and Jesus is up before the light comes up. So he had a very short night. And it was a day. So that's where our passage begins today. And what Jesus did is a very important model for us. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus got up. You know, instead of rolling over and hitting snooze, he got up with the purpose of heading out to connect with God. This was his prayer time, his devotion time. Right? The time he focused on his upward relationship with God. Jesus went to a solitary place. When we read that, and if you're like me, Initially, you think, oh, he went to the comfy chair in the quiet room, you know, the place where I do my devotions or something. But he got out of the house. He, he was just trying to find a quiet place to have, some, to have some prayer time. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, there's a lot more to this because the phrase in the original language was a dual term. It means literally wilderness place or desert place. 
And it's a clear reference to the desert wilderness where Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil after Jesus' baptism. So don't, don't forget the context of that wilderness place, that desert place. Remember, Jesus had just been baptized and God spoke over him, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So this amazing statement of identity, Jesus knows for sure that he's God's kid, that God loves him, and not only that, but that God is pleased with him. And, you know, back in that message, we, we saw that if we're in Christ, you know, by grace and through faith, we can hear those words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over us. You are my daughter, my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. What an amazing thing. Right after the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness, Jesus was tempted by the big categories of temptation that we all face. Appetite, ambition, and approval. Now, now the thing about Capernaum is it was an agricultural center. It was, it was like Iowa, right? Like every acre is in farmland. There, it, everything was cultivated. It was very fertile. So, so from, from, a, from a literal perspective, there was not a wilderness place, a desert place. So when the scripture says Jesus went out to a solitary place, a wilderness place, a desert place, well, there wasn't one of those physically within walking distance of where he was. So that means something for our understanding of this text. I mean, sure, he left the house to find a quiet place, you know, because the house had a lot of people in it. Remember, a big extended family. But I think we can also be sure that spiritually speaking, Jesus returned to that place of testing and trial in his inner, in his inner world, right? He went back to that wilderness place where his, his identity was challenged, where he was invited to cave and do it on his, on his own. Right? And, and in that wilderness place where Jesus confronted temptation with the word of God, remember that was his response every time. He looked to scripture to counter the temptation. Um, I, I just wonder that as he confronted those temptations, appetite, ambition, and, and approval, if one of those categories might have been coming back in, in sight here. Now, this isn't in the scripture. I'm just speculating. But remember what happened the day before. It started off and nobody knew who Jesus was. He shows up in the synagogue, teaches as one with authority, casts out a demon. Everybody says, whoa, he actually has authority. They go out, tell the whole town. By that evening, everybody in town knows who he is. Everybody in town is standing at his door, clamoring for his attention. Now, yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. Right? Open to temptation just as we are. Certainly that little voice was saying, hey, hey. You're the man. I mean, just this morning, nobody even knew who you were. But now, well, check this out. The whole town is here. I mean, you see it? Just wondering. I mean, it's not, it's not in the Bible, so we're just speculating here. But if I had to bet, you know, what Jesus did is a very important model for us. Jesus got up 
focused on his relationship with God. Jesus returned to his identity. He went right at those temptations he experienced in the wilderness, but throughout life kept cycling back, coming at him at an opportune moment, which is exactly what we experience. And as he experienced that, he focused upward so as to get in touch with who he really was again. Jesus returned to his identity. And he countered all those temptations with the word of God. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the tool we have, the word of God. The only offensive weapon listed in Ephesians, remember that, the, the armor of God? Everything is defensive except for the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, right? Jesus got up, Jesus returned to his identity, and Jesus prayed, meaning he didn't just do all the talking, because praying is a conversation, right? Talking and listening. What, what is God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? Jesus focused on his upward relationship with God. And, and when his friends found him, they were flustered. And look at what Simon said. Everyone is looking for you. It was a very, very thinly veiled rebuke, right? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Come on. There's, there's a whole group of people that you should be there. They've got expectations. You've got a thing going now. And see how this might play right into that temptation of ambition? It's right there. And the people wanted Jesus not because of what he said about God's kingdom or about what they should do, repent and believe the good news. They wanted to see him because of what he could do for them. This was a very utilitarian deal. It was transactional. Hey, I'm here. Could you do this for me? Which certainly is part of Jesus' ministry, but every miracle we see in the Bible always has the purpose of pointing to who Jesus is and what he came to do and that the kingdom of God is actually real and near. You can just imagine Peter's face, can't you? When, when uh, Simon's face, I keep calling him his later name, right? When, when Jesus gave him his answer. Come on, everybody's looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Huh? Go somewhere else, but, you know, yesterday you started as a nobody and you ended the day as everybody's everything in this town. I mean, you can probably become mayor today. What, what, go somewhere else? I mean, it's an amazing thing that we get to witness in this passage, if, if we're paying attention and engaging our imaginations around what's actually happening here, in this passage, we get to watch Jesus focus on his relationship with God with, with some intent, right? We get to watch Jesus grapple with temptation and return to his identity as a child of God whom God loves and with whom God is pleased. And we get to observe how Jesus refocused on his kingdom purpose after 
returning to his covenant identity. Because that's what happened. Right? So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The last verse of our, of our passage today. Jesus didn't stay put. Jesus went out. He traveled around Galilee announcing the kingdom of God and demonstrating it by casting out demons. And that obedience to God, that, that whole ministry to move outward toward a world in need, emerged from Jesus looking up, focusing on his relationship with God, and returning to his identity as a beloved child of God through that experience of looking up. See, Jesus got up and Jesus went out. We see this throughout the Gospels. I mean, Jesus lived a three-dimensional life, up with the Father, in with the disciples and his spiritual family, and out with the world. And if you take a close look at how Jesus lived, you can see he was always balancing these three relationships. And, and, it, and it is a balancing act. It was for Jesus, and we should expect that it will be for us too. It's not like you can be batting a thousand and all these things all the time. It's, you're consistently calibrating and adjusting and, and focusing on an area of need. And in the story we read today, I'm, I'm sure Jesus was feeling tapped. I mean, he had to be physically exhausted, I would think. And he was probably thinking, like, wow, yesterday was, wow, that was a thing. And I had a lot of out, all those people last night at the door. I had a lot of in settling in with my new spiritual family. I need some up. So I'm going to get up and focus on my relationship with God. It's all intentional, right? I think we have to believe that. I mean, here's, here's a simple image that helps us see the way uh, Jesus balanced his life, the, the shape of Jesus' life, really. Up with God the Father, in with the disciples, and out with the world. I mean, Jesus balanced these three relationships. God invites us to do the same, I think. Jesus is our model for how to live in this world. This is what he did, and it's thoroughly biblical. This isn't like a new thing. I remember, remember the simple summary in the Old Testament of what God expects from us? What, what does the Lord your God require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Now, it's not perfect, but th- this fits up in and out too. Walk humbly with God, up. Love mercy, in. Act justly, out. Now don't think too hard about it. I'm not saying mercy is only inwardly focused, right? But it's, it's there. There's, a, there's something there. Or think about the Acts 2 model of, of the church. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, teaching about God, there's some up, and to fellowship, there's some in, To the breaking of bread, there's some more in. And to prayer, there's some up. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, some in. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Anyone who had need, that's some out. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, more up. Worship, corporate worship. They broke bread in their homes, in, and ate together, in with glad and sincere hearts, praising God up and enjoying the favor of all the people, out. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, out. 
It's everywhere. And it's really simple. This is not hard. Right? This is how the early church lived. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Israel was commanded to live, a redemptive community in the world so that the whole world might see God's good purposes for the world and for them. This is a model for us. And this is a very practical place to start in following Jesus more intentionally. Right? Says, says one author, this picture of the three dimensions is a powerfully transferable tool that helps us follow Jesus and train other disciples to make disciples as well. Right, this picture can get planted in your mind and, and, and you can apply it. I'll listen to this testimony from a friend of ours and an author named Bob Ronglian. The first time I met people who were explicitly seeking to measure and balance their own lives based on the three dimensions of Jesus' life was when I was visiting a church in northern England that uses this tool. My friend Greg and I were staying with a lovely family from the church. Uh, about the second day we were with them, the husband, Pete, explained why he was going to visit the soup kitchen that Saturday morning. I think my up is pretty healthy and my in is going well, but I sense God has been calling me to focus on my out lately. So I'm going to see if this might be a place where I can grow in my care and concern for those outside the church. Well, that's pretty simple. I, I encourage us, I encourage you to really pray on this. this, this kind of simple formula, up, in, and out, to evaluate your own life. If, if you live in a current family context, in the same household, to evaluate the context of your family life. And as members of this church or regulars in this congregation, to evaluate our life together as a church. How's our up? How's our in? How's our out? What's our growing edge? What's your growing edge? And what might you do about that? What might we do about that? Jesus got up focusing on his relationship with God. Jesus invited others in focusing on building a spiritual family with a purpose. And Jesus reached out, focusing on the lost and broken world so loved by God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. God, we thank you and we bless you for not just what you've done for us in Jesus, but for the example and the model that you have given to us for our own flourishing. Not just that we might feel guilty or, or, or duty bound to do a list of religious things, but you've shown us how to live with a fullness of life, a better kind of life. And God, we, we pray together that you would help us as individuals with that, you'd help the families of this church, you'd help our whole congregation, help us turn to you and seek you and listen to what you're saying to us with regard to this. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen.